Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us today as we delve into an important second part of a two-part broadcast. Last episode, we talked about the cultural collapse that's going on worldwide and in our country. If you want just a couple of examples, just turn on the media. They're, they're very bold and energetic to spread the cultural collapse, the moral collapse. And then I guess the other one would be the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, not only legalizing abortion, but now legalizing same-sex marriage. But for many Catholics, even more important than the collapse out there, so to speak, it's the collapse in here. In other words, we are facing right now the second round of clerical abuse scandals. And we're learning that it's throughout the United States, it's worldwide. And then just this week, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court released that sweeping 400-page grand jury report of sex abuse in the Pennsylvania Catholic Church, listing more than 300 accused clergy, more than 1,000 child victims, and detailing, and for many of us, this is the hardest part to take, detailing a systematic cover-up by the church leaders over seven decades. Now, in our first broadcast, I said before we come up with a strategy of what to do given the situation both in our church and in our culture, we need to know what time it is. In other words, what situation are we in? And I concluded last time with a quote from Cardinal Newman that basically outlined that we're in or approaching a time of great apostasy. And I would like to begin with how I concluded last time with that quote, because knowing the time then prompts you to take the proper action. And here's what Cardinal Newman said. I know that all times are perilous and that in every time serious and anxious minds alive to the honor of God are apt to consider no time so perilous as their own. At all times, the enemy of soul assaults with fury the church. Still, I think that the trials which lie before us are such as would appall and make dizzy even such courageous hearts as St. Athanasius, St. Gregory I, or St. Gregory VII. And they would confess that dark as the prospect of their own day was, ours has a darkness different in kind from any that has been before it. The special peril of the time before us is the spread of that plague of infidelity that the apostles and our Lord himself have predicted as the worst calamity of the last times. And what we're seeing is at least a shadow, a typical image of the last times coming over the world. I do not mean to presume to say that this is 
the last time, but that it has the evil prerogative of being like that more terrible season when it is said that the elect themselves will be in danger of falling away. My brethren, you are coming into a world, if present appearances do not deceive, such as priests never came before. Your flocks may be in great danger. As time goes on, there will be a crisis and a turning point. John Cardinal Newman, Sermon 9, The Infidelity of the Future. Now, the situation basically outlined by Cardinal Newman predicting the days in which we are living is far more than what was in the Pennsylvania report or any of the other abuse reports. I'm saying that the time that we are living in is that time described by Cardinal Newman. And there have been many times in the history of the church it's faced severe crises but sometimes we just want to paper over our day, says, oh, it's just another one. No, he says it's not just another one. It's a unique one. Is this the final great apostasy? No one can know for sure. Certainly Cardinal Newman didn't, and I can't claim to know that. But he says our times have that characteristic at minimum of that last time. And there's something that wasn't in the Pennsylvania report, and that is that there is widespread homosexual activity by priests that didn't involve sexual abuse. It's just what might, many might regard as just plain and simple sodomy, which there isn't such a thing, because sodomy is one of the sins that cries to heaven for justice. If you want to know one of the dynamics causing this crisis, just Google Belladad homosexuals in the priesthood. Belladad was a communist, along with others, tasked with placing homosexuals in the Catholic priesthood in an attempt to destroy the church. Archbishop Fulton Sheen was very instrumental in helping converting her and bringing her back to the Catholic faith. But you can find out exactly what happened, and she even gave this in testimony, sworn testimony, in front of the U.S. Congress. So, the time is a serious time, and I believe it's more serious than even what's being discussed. So, the question is, what should families do during times of apostasy? What can they do? Well, Jesus said this about the last days. It's from Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 37. He said this, As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. In other words, it's, there's going to be a, a kind of repeat of history. Obviously, it won't be exactly, but it, like someone said, you know, history doesn't exactly repeat itself, but it does rhyme. Listen to Jesus. As were the days of Noah. The days of Noah were days of worldwide apostasy. So Jesus says, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And they did not know until the flood came 
and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Do you want one word? I guess it's kind of popular with young people today. One word that would describe the people in Noah's generation? Clueless. Clueless of the time that they were living in. They were just marrying and giving in marriage or going about their work, just had their daily, weekly schedules and whatever else, had their weekends planned and absolutely, utterly clueless of what was hanging over them. Jesus says, in a general sense, history is going to repeat itself. So let's ask ourselves the question. If history is going to repeat itself, are there any strategies that we can learn from the days of the flood that we can apply to times of apostasy? Doesn't this seem to make sense? As was the days of Noah, so will be the days of the coming of the Son of Man. We're not saying this is that time. We're sticking with Cardinal Newman saying at least our times resemble that time, time of apostasy. So what do we do? What do parents do? My suggestion can be summarized in a single verse from Hebrews chapter 11, and it's the seventh verse. By faith, Noah, being warned of God concerning events as yet unseen, took heed and constructed an ark for the saving of his household. It was Noah by faith. He was warned about things coming. He was warned by God. And there's a lot of things in Scripture that warn that there are consequences for sins that cry to heaven for judgment. We're going about our daily lives here in the United States of America. We've even legalized sins which cry to heaven for justice, for judgment, and yet we seem oblivious to the times we're living in. So Noah took heed, and then having taken heed, becoming aware, unlike the clueless people he was living with, he took heed and constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Now, the ark is a picture of Jesus and his church. It's the Catholic faith. And what worked in the days of Noah was a father-led household that got his family, eight people in all, to survive a worldwide apostasy and universal judgment. And he simply took actions commanded by God and a father-led, faithful household is the strategy that works in an apostasy. You might say, it's terrible. You, you can't go to the mall without seeing things you don't want to see. You can't turn on TV without seeing things you don't want to see. You can't watch a football game without seeing you don't, things you don't want to see. And yet, what we experience in our cultural collapse is nothing compared to what Noah faced. I mean, it was down to eight people in the whole world. That's it. Nobody else on the block. Nobody else in town. Nobody else on the globe. And yet a faithful father who took action to preserve his household and heeded God resulted in the saving of his household. Now, are there any other indications from Scripture that this 
faithful father strategy might actually work in times of apostasy. Yes, because it seems that the flood didn't quite take care of everything. And by the time we get just a few more chapters further forward in Genesis, we read an account between Abraham and God. God is on his way to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham, being a godly man, wants to intercede with God for the welfare of the righteous people. And he asked God, he said, you know, Lord, if you find 50 people in Sodom and Gomorrah who aren't entirely wicked, will you postpone judgment? Imagine if your town, if it was down to 50, could you find 50? And God says, okay, if I find 50, I'm not going to destroy it. And then Abraham, you know the story, goes again. Oh, what if there's 45? Will you destroy it? That No, I won't destroy it if I find 45. And then he goes to 40, and Abraham is being rather persistent. He goes, well, what about 30? Nope, I won't destroy it at 30. What if there's 20? Nope, won't destroy it at 20. Okay, how about if you find 10? And God says, you know what? If I find 10, I will not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, hear my voice rather clearly. Sodomy is a sin that once it's accepted culturally is like an infectious disease that spreads, not only culturally amongst other people, but it's a sin which takes over the personality and gets people to do unimaginable things, things like in the Pennsylvania report. And I would compare it to those struggling with a pornography addiction, you know, just click, click, and a couple of dirty pictures, what's the harm with that? And then all of a sudden, it seems like you're captured and you can't get free of it. Or the many people suffering the opioid addiction, you know, you just take it a few times to relieve some pain, and then all of a sudden, it takes over you. Well, this is what happens. And we read in the next chapter of Genesis that the men of the city of Sodom surrounded the house where the visitors came, and it says the men of Sodom, both young and old, all ages, all the people down to the last man surrounded the house. Homosexuality had burned through the community. And not only that, Lot, who was grieved in his heart regarding what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah, yet younger people of faithful believers are often corrupted and accommodate themselves to a collapsing culture. We read in Genesis 19 that Lot went to his sons-in-law. They're about to marry his daughters And he says, come on, get up out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. And you know their reaction? He seemed to his sons-in-law to be jesting. You're kidding, right? I mean, we're way past that divine judgment stuff. Nobody really goes to hell, or if they go, they don't stay there forever. Uh, Yeah, God speaks about doing this stuff, and we kind of know it's wrong, but look, we've gotten away with it. Nothing's going to happen. And so they blew them off. They stayed and were destroyed. This is really serious. There weren't 10 men left. There wasn't one. And then Lot's own family, his future sons-in-law, 
thought that the concept of divine judgment was somewhat of a joke. So, what would you do if you lived in the neighborhood, so to speak, of Sodom and Gomorrah? You were the next neighborhood over, and all this was going on. And particularly God had a plan to redeem the world despite mankind seemingly always capable of just messing things up beyond all imagination description. Well, we find the divine strategy in Genesis 18, verses 17, 18, and 19. And I can't emphasize this enough. A lot of people are running around proposing legislative reforms in response to the crisis. I'm for it. All kinds of disclosures within the church. I'm for it. Um, all kinds of acts, and some people should resign. Yes, I'm for it. But at root, this is what God's strategy was when there weren't 10 people left in Sodom and Gomorrah, when even Lot's own future sons-in-law thought the idea of divine judgment was really a joke. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham will become a great and mighty nation, and the nations of the earth shall bless themselves by him. In other words, from this family, Abraham's family, the whole world would be blessed. And we know that from the first verse of the New Testament. Jesus Christ comes from the family of Abraham. And here's the really important one, Genesis 19.19. Know, for I have chosen him, that he may charge his children and his household after him, to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. What's the strategy? It's the same as with Noah. And remember, as in the days of Noah, so shall be the coming of the Son of Man. What was the strategy? A faithful father-led household. And here it is, I've chosen Abraham, I know his family is going to bless the world, but how do I know his family is going to hold? I mean, Lot lost his kids, so to speak, or at least his future sons-in-law. It says that he may charge his children and his household after him. In other words, this wasn't delegated to a religious education expert. This wasn't delegated to Sarah, his wife, even though she was a godly woman. I'm sure she assisted him. But he took the prime responsibility for the spiritual welfare of his family. This is what works in an age of apostasy. And he says he's going to charge his children to keep the way of the Lord. You know, the early Christian instruction in the faith, there is a, a document called the Didache. It's kind of right around when the Apostles' Creed was written in the early, early, early church. And, and converts to the faith were instructed in the two ways. Christianity being faithful to God isn't going and acknowledging some abstract religious facts and then go out and living like the devil the rest of the week. It's keeping the way of the Lord. And how do you get young people to move beyond religious concepts and religious facts to actually keeping the faith? It's because a father has taught it to his children and modeled it to his children. There is no substitute for this. And God says, I'm going to bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. All human fathers are less than perfect, including Abraham, including you if you're listening to me, dads, and 
including myself, we are imperfect fathers. God makes up for our lacks. But if we're faithful, as best God gives us grace to do to lead our families in faith, that will stand up in the culture of Sodom and Gomorrah. So, the need of the hour in which we live, and again, it's this is going to all depend on what you feel, what time it is. If it's just time for legislation, fine, go <laughs> go about that. I'm I'm for the legislation, don't get me wrong. But if you think this is a time of principalities and powers attacking the Catholic Church in an unprecedented, historically unprecedented degree, then the need of the hour in which we live is a renewed Catholic fatherhood. I have been a part of the Catholic uh, men's movement, I guess the wider term for it, for the past 20 years, but there's been a profound shift in the last 10 years. Early on, uh, I was a part, along with others, of promoting a Catholic fatherhood movement. We had conferences for Catholic fathers, and we tried to provide relevant information for dads raising children, teens, and young adults. And if it's very targeted information, most men find it rather challenging to be a fatherhood in any age, and especially in our age. Well, this is a pull for young men who aren't going to Catholic men's conferences in any significant percentages. This is the pull to get them to come. And while they were there, we had a special focus to bring the fathers back into a relationship with God the Father through his son, Jesus Christ. We gave very lively calls to faith and repentance. And at times we had hundreds of men going to confession from a single conference, including men who maybe hadn't been to confession and basically had blown off their faith for a dozen years or more. You see, this is what's needed and it's not going on. Catholic men's conferences today are predominantly grandfather conferences. I'm not against grandfathers. I am one. But I realize if I had to pick between a conference for me and my needs and my interest as a grandfather or a conference for my sons and sons-in-law, there's no question whatsoever because I have a concern for my grandchildren. And I realize the best thing that can be done for my grandchildren is the spiritual nourishment, the call to repentance and faith, the restoration of a union with God the Father through Jesus Christ to my sons and sons-in-law. This is the need of the hour during times of apostasy. In the book of Malachi, everything fell apart. Priesthood was a mess, marriages was a mess, God's judgment on the way, it was, it was a terrible mess. This is the closing chapters of the Old Testament. And yet, even though judgment is on the way, we find a ray of hope in the last verses of the Old Testament. It's this from Malachi 4. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the land with a curse." How do you develop a strategy for family life during times of apostasy? You start with turning the hearts of fathers 
turning the hearts of fathers to God, reconnecting them with God, reconnecting them with their wives, reconnecting them with their children. That is what works. And it's the need is to have targeted Catholic fatherhood conferences, seminars, and training camps. But I'm saying targeted. What's happened is that very often diocesan family efforts, when directed at men, want to reach everybody. And reaching everybody, they're not reaching everybody. They're basically reaching retired men, not men with children in the home. So what the need for this hour in which we are living through are conferences specifically directed at dads with children in the home. And yes, you may have smaller attendance, but the long-term fruit will be immeasurably greater. And in this strategy, which I'm talking about, it worked in the generation of the flood. It worked in the days of Noah. It worked in the generation of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's prophesied by Malachi to work again. And you know, <laughs> how are you going to do this? I'm about to go in a few days to an apologetics conference in Texas sponsored by laity, organized by laity. I call this an entrepreneurial apologetics conference. They have figured out ways to raise the necessary funds to put on these tremendous apologetics conferences. And the same thing can, should, and needs to be done for fathers, targeting fathers with children still in the home. It's not going to reach everybody. And any wives listening, I know that you know having a man in your home married to you and the father of your children who's at least attempting to follow in the footsteps of St. Joseph is the dream of every Catholic woman. That's what a targeted fatherhood movement will do. And then you have the fatherhood conferences, the larger seminars. This is where you have the call to faith. This is where you have the confession. And then you can have the small fatherhood training groups, the large events and the small events. But here's a tip. Don't make the small group event eternal. In other words, some just go on and on like they're supposed to be permanent. Instead, for young, busy dads, have them for a limited duration, and each duration or each time training period has a specific goal of teaching a fatherhood skill. And this is how it works. John Paul II says, the future of the world and the church passes through the family. And fathers with children still in the home are at the forefront of that future. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 206 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to order copies of Faith and Family broadcasts and to learn more about Catholic family life.